Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, August 7th, we are studying Judges chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. The author of the book of Judges has finished recounting the cycles of the judges, that downward spiral that Israel took into greater and greater idolatry. And now he's going to give us a lengthy epilogue, two episodes that show just how rotten life had gotten in those days when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And today's text gives us the first part of the first episode in that epilogue. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. Pastor Wheatfelt serves as the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Pastor Oppold. It's a great joy to be with you guys once again. So, Pastor Wheatfelt, I know we talked to you just a couple of weeks ago, but, but remind us, how are things at the seminary? What are you all planning coming up here soon? Yeah, definitely. So just to recap, since our last conversation, we had our Christ Academy program, our Timothy School and our Phoebe School, which both went very successfully, uh, had about 45 students still uh, managing the uh, protocols given to us by the CDC, uh, but uh, still had a great time. They were able to spend eight days with us. So that was a wonderful experience for those high school students. This fall, we've got our usual events, our um, Christ Academy confirmation retreat the first weekend in October, the Christ, uh, the uh, our prayerfully consider visit October 7th, uh, 15th through 17th. That's for a second career uh, potential prospective students and their families, as well as anyone else that would like to join us uh, that might be a prospective student. And then at the end of the month, October 30th through November 1st, we have our Christ Academy College for college-age students who are interested in either learning more about pastoral ministry or diaconal ministry. And uh, yeah, again, we're just elated to be able to continue to proceed forward uh, with these events. And uh, Lord willing, uh, (laughs) everything will continue to go on just as smoothly as it has so far this summer uh, with our summer Greek. For sure. That's, that's great that y'all been able to do those things and looking forward to another school year of training future pastors, deaconesses for our church. So, Pastor Wheatfelt, we're in Judges 17. You you keep getting kind of the, the strange texts, it seems, here in the book of Judges. I think last time we, we talked about Abimelech, which is one of those rather uh, sordid episodes in the book of Judges. And, well, frankly, it gets weirder here. So, before we look into the specifics of this epilogue, just remind us where we've been in the book of Judges. What have we seen up to this point? And then we'll talk a little bit about the transition that happens here from the end of 16 into 17 and following. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, concluding the last time we were together, uh, we were looking at, at, at Abimelech. But again, I'd just like to f- look at the context of the whole of the book. Uh, Judges follows the death of Joshua. Um, the, the direct connect 
between the children of Israel now in the promised land and uh, Moses, the one who led the children of Israel out of captivity, um, uh, you know, working on the Lord's behalf. Uh, so Joshua carries them on, gets them into into the, the land with which the Lord had promised them. And then um, uh, this series of judges come about, good judges, bad judges, and, and the like. And so we see the person of Abimelech and the destruction that he brought uh, about. And uh, as he, that was kind of the first little kind of intermediate uh, break of what the, ju- the work of the judges. Uh, but then uh, we, we have a couple, um, we have a couple of really good judges in Jephthah and Samson. And both of them, as we've been saying the entire time, uh, have all of these judges have their blemishes. They are not perfect. They are not perfect people. Uh, they make mistakes. Uh, but in the end, the Lord works through each and every one of these people and each and every one of these judges. And he continues to show how much that he cares and works for the children of Israel through these individuals. And in many ways, as you wrap all of these judges together, as you hold them all together, you see uh, through a mirror dimly, uh, as scripture would say it, um, the, who the person and works of Christ are um, in, in the way that the church talks about that is in regard to typology. And uh, each of these people help us understand who Jesus is going to be and what his work is going to be. And it's taking the children of Israel and showing them that they are loved by God and that they are his chosen people. And that God will do anything to make sure that they are saved. And so um, that that moves forward then into the church today. God did anything. That is, gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save his Israel. Not the people of the Old Testament. His new Israel, the church, us. And he did everything in giving his only begotten son so that we might have the full forgiveness of our sins and the guarantee of life eternal. And so all of this holds together as we look through uh, the, the book of Judges. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to, to, to see that. Now, with these epilogue, um, it really breaks down into two parts. You've got um, today we'll see Micah and his idols, and really the total depravity uh, that the children of Israel have moved into, where they've lost complete and utter sight of who their God is and what he does for them. And then we'll have uh, the war of, the, the of Gibeah um, uh, in verses 19 and 20, 19 through 21. And this is a war between Benjamin and the other tribes. And uh, if you think about it, it's kind of um, ridiculous in many ways that the, the, the son, uh, Benjamin, who was the smallest and the youngest, now goes up against into battle against the rest of, of the tribes of, of Israel. And uh, how kind of backward um, that is compared to the, the way that the life of Benjamin was supposed to be. He was 
you know, outside of uh, outside of uh, Joseph, he was his, his father, one of his father's favorites, and uh, uh, because he, uh, because of who his mother is. So it's it's kind of it's kind of bizarre to think this is where we have come in such a short period of time, um, and uh, how how far. Uh, People and, and, and tribes have moved away from the way that they were intended, or at least their, uh, you know, their namesakes, uh, the original sons uh, of Jacob, of Israel, um, how their relationship was to their father and especially to their brothers. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a deeper dive into that Micah uh, account today. But, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of neat things during this epilogue. No, no doubt. And you used two adjectives there, Pastor Wheatfelt, that I think as we will go through these chapters over the next several days here on Sharper Iron that are quite, quite fitting and may go through the, the mind. I know they go through my mind. You said ridiculous and bizarre. And, and I think both of those, you know, if we can speak that way about sacred scripture, that, that it's ridiculous to see the people of God in the situations that we're going to see them in doing the things that we're going to see them do just how far they are from what the Lord gave them in the books of Moses, the life that he had prescribed for them, the, the good things that he had given to them, look how far they've come. And, and certainly bizarre. Some of the strangest things in scripture, in, in my opinion, are in these final chapters of the book of Judges. And we'll see some of that even in chapter 17 today, where we're just kind of scratching our heads and, and thinking, that happened? And, and well, yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> so how, and Pastor Weefeld, tell me what you think of this, as I've I reflected on, on the book of Judges and, and these chapters that we're going to start looking at today. In, in chapters 3 through 16, you see in this cycle of Judges, you see the leaders of Israel, these various important people that the Lord raised up to save his people in various times and places. So Othniel, Ehud, Barak, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, and, and all the minor judges in there as well. You, you see it from that perspective of how the Lord takes a particular leader at a particular time and uses that person to deliver his people. And he does that even through the, the blemishes, the sins of that leader. And so we, we're used to that from the book of Judges. One of the things that I, I think might be going on here in these final chapters is that the Lord now is giving us a picture of everyday life within Israel. So we've seen how the, the leaders were sinful during this time. Well, what was it like for your average Israelite living in, for example, the hill country of Ephraim. What was what was going on in his everyday life? And what we're going to see in these chapters is that it wasn't pretty either. That, that idolatry that we've seen, this is what that idolatry is going to look like. And I think it gives us a, a good picture and a helpful reminder that when we fall into idolatry, it's not a small thing, that it actually has pretty devastating consequences on our lives. And these final chapters of Judges give us an opportunity to, to see that in, in all of its ugliness. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's spot on. Yeah, we see that people, uh, you know, oftentimes we, we um, with the way that Holy Scripture is written, as well as the way that, um, and not saying that the two are equal, but the two kind of work together, how history is written. Um, we see uh, as we go through, you know, 
kind of a laying out of history here in Judges, Holy Scripture inspired by God, but we also see in just the, the way history books are written. They're written from the perspective oftentimes of the leader, that the, the leader is the focal point. And so, yeah, we, we get a chance to see that through the, the major and the minor judges and to be able to say, okay, um, yeah, this is, I mean, they're only, in some way, they're the, the, the pinnacle of success. Um, they're the best of the best, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, to be able to now dive in deeper into the day-to-day -day life of the common um, man here in Israel gives us an even better glimpse as to why God acts in the way that he acts, why God allows things like captivities and uh, exiles to happen uh, because the best of the best fail. And when we work our way down in, that is the leaders, when we work our way down into the common man who you know, is not a day-to-day uh, you know, -day role model uh, for, for people, um, you know, and I think that's even a, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't like saying that because <laughs> I think Luther's doctrine of vocation would speak differently. Everyone's a role model every day in the Christian life. Uh, but I think, you know, we see then more deeply uh, what the depravity of, the, of Israel actually is. And in that same kind of vocation, how they are failing to serve their neighbors here in Israel and how the Lord still in his goodness and his mercy lavishes upon them forgiveness and love. Um, but then, you know, they continue to reject his gift and in rejecting his gift, he ultimately is going to let them have their way. You want to choose, you want, you want to make the choice to have idols well, I'll let you have your idols, and with your idols comes uh, comes captivity. With your idols comes exile. Um, with your idols comes leaving this land that I have promised you, at least the majority of you in, in, in some instances, and going into a foreign land. Um, you will still be my people. I still love you, but you have chosen, and I'm letting you have your way, but not letting you have your way ultimately and finally, so I think, yeah, I, I, Tim, I think you're spot on with that, um, that, you know, it, it, these, this epilogue kind of gives a good look at the day-to-day -day workings of the common man. Hmm. Right. And that, and I appreciate the way you, you gave us that helpful corrective that we're not speaking poorly of, quote, the common man as if that's somehow lesser than a leader by no means. And what's, what's ironic, in fact, is that in this time period where by and large, the people of Israel are unfaithful and falling into idolatry in the book of Judges. You get this nice little account that follows in the book of Ruth, which is what we're going to pick up next on Sharper Iron. After we finish the book of Judges, we're just going to go straight into Ruth. And what oh, you good. see in the book of Ruth is precisely what you were talking about, the faithfulness of just regular Israelites within their vocations and the wonderful things that God does through that faithfulness in those simple vocations of, of being a widow and of being a, a, a farmer and, and then 
showing compassion to those in need. And the, the wonderful thing that the Lord does through those simple vocations that he has given, what does he end up doing there in the book of Ruth? Well, he ends up preserving the line of the Christ and, and bringing us into the story of King David. So none of this is, as, as you said, to speak poorly of the vocations, the quote, common or everyday vocations that the Lord has given us. Rather, what we are saying is that what we're going to see in these chapters is that picture by and large, that is more at the ground level. And it wasn't always pretty there either. And some of these ugliest episodes in the scriptures are going to happen at that level. But the Lord certainly does reserve for himself his faithful people, as he always does. And that that's really where the book of Ruth comes in. I, I don't want to get too far afield, but I think that's a, a helpful reminder just and a corrective so that we don't fall off too far. Um, so, Pastor, we feel any more introductory thoughts on, on chapter 17, the epilogue, before we jump into the text for today? Yeah, just, just a final um, kind of overview thought. Um, you know, that this really shows how far that and how, 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 uh, how flimsy, how fragile and how fickle our human minds and our human emotions are. What I mean by that is that over the course of time, as Israel is marching through and taking the land that was given to them by God himself, and they are you know, taking, getting rid of these people, getting rid of people, getting rid of people. So they're also running into time and time again, false gods. And they know and they're, or at least they're, they're, they should know uh, who the true God is. Why? Because the true God is conquering uh, the, Ill, the small home idols or false gods. And as you know, they move further and further away from that time of conquering, and they move I mean, into some relatively... You know, outside of like Abimelech, <laughs> you know, you know, some relatively peaceful and calm time, um, they are they're they're losing sight of who that God, who the God who conquers and who wins for them really is. And in doing that, they begin to stray after not the well, they begin to follow not after the the true God, but they begin to stray after all of these little idols which their God has already conquered. And more than conquered, he has brought utter destruction to falsehood. And so, you know, it kind of uh, tangentially, I think it, I think it speaks well of, you know, the difference between truth and falsehood. Um, truth always wins, regardless. You can only cover up the truth for so long. The truth ultimately wins, and you can only prop up. And allow to uh, allow falsehood to propagate for so long because it will ultimately collapse on itself, or truth will destroy it. And the same, I mean, so I think there's a parallel between you know, the true God versus these false gods, and just truth in general versus falsehood. And so, you know, we're in a day and time where there is so much falsehood being spewed, regardless of of you know, what your political leanings or, you know, religion, faith leanings are. Uh, there's so much falsehood being spewed out there about the today, about each other, 
and uh, but 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 God is the God of truth, and He is a God who um, is truth Himself. Uh, John writes, "You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." And that truth is Jesus. Jesus, being the Word of God, is the Word of truth, and in speaking truth, uh, He speaks truth into falsehood, which is the um, which really is the child of Satan himself. Uh, from the beginning of creation, uh, the devil has been speaking falsehood and mistruth and partial truth, which I would wrap all of those uh, into falsehood because they are uh, mistruths um, and, full, and, and, and not full truths. Take just a little bit of truth out. And once you try to reduce the truthfulness of something, you turn it into a lie. So, um, yeah, he, he is the one who has been speaking falsehood into the world since the beginning of creation. Why? Because he hates everything that God loves. And again, pulling it back to the text, um, in him hating everything that God loves, God loves you and God loves me. God loves the children of Israel. And so as he is working behind the scenes here to bring in false idols, he is doing that not because he wants the children of Israel to be happy, healthy, and wise, but because he wants, he wants them to be in hell with him. Not because he loves them, but because he hates God so much that he hates everything that God has done and God works and how God and God's ways. And so he is going to try to destroy now that these children of Israel. Hmm. Yeah. The falsehood is all over this text. So let's, let's see how this begins. We're in judges chapter 17, beginning at the first verse. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he, so when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household of gods, and ordained one of his sons, who became a priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, that was the first six verses of this chapter. And again, I know when I read it, it's like I'm just kind of scratching my head. What what is going on here? This is this is just really strange. And again, you you can see right away the difference in character. Uh, just in terms of the narrative that's recorded for us from the previous chapters into this chapter, you, you can just see it. Even in the English, it's really apparent that something different is being recorded for us here. It's still a part of this time of the judges, but it's just from a different perspective. So, Pastor Weedfeld, on this side of the break, let's just, just take a look and make sure we understand what exactly is going on here in this narrative. It, I mean, it sounds like Micah actually stole money from his mom and then he gives it back to her and then she's going to invite him to start making idols with it. Just help make sure we understand what's actually happening in this narrative first. Yeah. And I think I'm glad we're pausing because as you read this, 
it's just, it does cause you to scratch your head and say, what in the world is going on here? Uh, it's so, you know, confounded and, you know, you know, in many ways, you know, my good old uh, Indiana farm boy wants to come out and say, this is just a bunch of gobbledygook and uh, no, no idea what, what exactly, like, how do you even line up these words? You know, looking at the, looking at the Hebrew and preparing it, I had a very difficult time trying to even just put the words and the sentence structure together because it's just such a bizarre incident. And it's definitely, I think the thing to highlight before, you know, we just dive in and, and kind of lay out things is to, to say, you know, as you said, Pastor Oppold, you can definitely see there's diff- there's something different here. It's been very clear and succinct all the way through the book of Judges. Even when, I mean, when we get to Abimelech, it's a little dicey, it's a little choppy, uh, but um, when, when every, every place else, it's very clear as to what is going on. Here now, as we, in some way, you know, thinking of, thinking of, um, thinking of how to look at this, this part of scripture, it's like you're, you have, in, in, in the movie, you have like the story that's being laid out for you, but then there's this kind of tangential thing. And so it, you know, pulls you off, the movie pulls you off into this other place to look at just this little thing for a little while. And I think that's essentially what's going on. So we're in the hill, we're in the hill country of Ephraim. Uh, and we see this person by the name of Micah. And uh, he says to his mother uh, he, he, that, that he, the, the, thousand, the, hundred, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, uh, which you uttered a curse. So she said, essentially, whoever took my money, curse it are you. So there's already a breaking of the commandments. <laughs> um, you know, I, it is me who, who took that silver from you. So instead of in, in, in uh, living out that curse, what does she do? She turns around and says, uh, uh, blessed be my son by the Lord. Um, she's actually, and now she's speaking more falsehood. Um, you know, one, we're not, we're called not to, um, you know, you, you misuse the name of the Lord. Um, that is, um, not to, you know, use his name to curse people, but instead to bless them. Um, but now she's not even being truthful. She's lying in a sense that she said she was going to call down a curse, but now she's blessing, uh, the, the son because it's the son. She realizes that she can't do this because what is it going to do? It's going to bring destruction against her house. And so he gives back the 1,100 pieces of silver. Uh, and she says, I dedicate the silver to the Lord um, and, uh, uh, from my hand, from the hand of my son, that you will make a carved image, which is like, what is going on here? Um, <laughs> literally reading the first commandment, it says, don't make any carved images. If you, it says, don't make any carved images. Uh, so already right there, it's another, this is just brought with the breaking of the command. So she says, go make a, go make a, go make a carved image. And he takes it to the silversmith and he does that. And the, they bring it back to um, now Micah's house and Micah builds a shrine. And then he ordains one of his sons as the priest for it. Uh, so it's already a mi- complete misunderstanding of the of really the the office of priest from the Old Testament. Um, the priests were raised up not by not be, not by their own 
are not by their own, even their own families, but because they come from the house of Levi, they're Levites. Um, so he, he's already doing some crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, and then finally, um, he, uh, he, I mean, ultimately, I think, I wish they would have put, uh, I wish scripture would have put this last sentence first. Everyone did what was right in their own eye. And maybe even bookend uh, the, you know, 17.1 and then 17.6 uh, with that. You know, started off, every di- everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Or at, now at this time, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And now go into the story. There was a man from the hill country of Ephraim. Just so that you can have a better sense. I think it coming here in the middle of this epilogue, this little section of the epilogue, does help us see, okay, uh, there there is something weird going on here. Um, so let's keep on reading to figure out how ridiculous this is all going to get. But uh, yeah, that just just in a way of trying to line things up. Yeah, that that phrase, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, is going to be a key phrase within this epilogue. And we'll pick up more on that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. Going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything new? No. Anything I should know? No. Is everything okay? Yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to connect with teens. Use Connect With Me activity cards to deepen your conversations. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, August 7th, and we are studying Judges chapter 17, verses 1 through 13 with Pastor Matt Wheatfelt. He serves as the Director of Admissions and the Director of the Christ Academy Program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Wheatfelt, prior to the break, we looked at these first six verses of Judges 17, and as, as you were describing it, I mean, every at every turn, they're doing things that are simply blatantly wrong. I mean, you've got a you've got a man who steals from his own mother. He's breaking the seventh and fourth commandments. He returns it because of his mother's curse. She's broken the second commandment. She reverses that or attempts to reverse it with a blessing, more breaking of the second commandment. They they turn this then into blatant idolatry, a breaking of the first over and over again. It's just it it's just a very blatantly wrong 
picture. He's, he's ordaining his own son as a priest. He has no business doing that. His son is not part of the priestly role. It's, it's just, it's overall bad. Uh, so a couple of thoughts on this section. Um, I want to talk about the everyone did what was right in his own eyes second. But first, one of the things that stands out even within just these few verses, and it's only going to continue as we go through this epilogue, is that there are not a lot of people who are named. In, in fact, if I, if I did this right, Micah, whose name we get here in the very first verse of this chapter, is the only individual named within the narrative as the action is happening. We, we will find out by the end of Judges 18 that this Levite, his name is Jonathan, it seems. But that's mentioned more in passing. It's, it's not ever, he's never called Jonathan within the action of the narrative. And even as the, the account goes on in 19, 20, and 21 into the second episode of this epilogue, we don't get the names of individuals other than this Micah. And so, I mean, that, that got me to thinking, and this, this could be going out a bit too far on the limb. The name Micah means who is like the Lord. And, and I wonder, I wonder if, if that meaning of that name, who is like the Lord, provides a bit of a picture of what's going on in the minds of the people of Israel during this ugly time. They honestly don't know who the Lord is, it seems. And I think that connects to that statement in verse six, at least the first part, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Certainly there was no king in Israel in the sense that Saul, David, Solomon, and so forth, they were not reigning yet. You had these more localized judges. But I, I wonder if just this name Micah being the only really individual who's named in this section, who is like the Lord, the people don't seem to know who the Lord is at this point. There's no king in Israel. All of this is, is just painting that picture of the people's very terrible, decayed spiritual state, how far they've fallen away from, from the true religion that the Lord has given them. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I think that, you know, seeing this individual of Micah um, and how, uh, you know, in many ways they've, they've completely lost sense of who they are as a people, that um, he, who is like the Lord, um, you know, in many ways, they, in many ways, they're just simply secular, you know, uh, Israelites, that the Israelites living in this world, living in with, with the, you know, the secular world around them and embracing that, but still holding on to some sort of uh, heritage, Israelite heritage um, in, in that sense. I think that's what I think that's what's going on here, that they really don't religiously believe this. Their hearts are elsewhere. Their spirituality is in other things as opposed to where it ought to be in the one true God. And so they, yeah, they have no idea who God really is. And in having no idea who God really is, they really don't know who they are either. They don't know who they are and they don't know, you know, the, really the, the total weight of what he has done for them in freeing them from bondage and carrying them through uh, you know, through the desert, through their wandering and giving them the promised land, which he has promised. And he actually does give the Lord is a keeper of his word. Whereas the Israel, the Israelites are not the Israelites are people who do not keep their word. Um, but it's, it's, it's the same for us. Um, you know, and I, and I think this is, it, uh, it also shows us kind of how, when, when we lose track 
uh, when we lose focus, when we start, you know, becoming people of the world as opposed to people just in the world, when we, when we become people, how quickly everything unravels and how quickly everything goes to pot um, and how quickly we, 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 we lose track of what our um, God has done for us. I mean, we all have, we all have family members. We all maybe even have brothers and sisters who were raised in the faith and um, who um, have you know, embraced more of the culture uh, than they do of uh, you know, remaining faithful in the faith. And in embracing the culture, you know, whereas our life, even though we are sinful, um, we still understand that our life is a life that is wrapped up in the love of Christ. Um, whereas, and, and so they may live life in a way that doesn't reflect that, even though you may have the same upbringing. I say that simply to say, you know, when, when the culture around us is embraced to its fullest, it only leads to destruction and to taking the holy things of God, his name, his promise, uh, and his people, those three, those three things, and just turning them ever so slightly to misuse them, uh, to not use them correctly, and to not use them to their fullest. And that's exactly what's happening here. We see the name of the Lord, the things, the promise of the Lord and his people all not jiving and gelling well together as the Lord had intended them to, uh, working well in the way that he gave them. And so in doing that, we see people running, running amok. Hmm. Right. And that's the that's the phrase. Then everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And and like you, I would have loved to see it at the beginning of chapter 17, too, simply because then it would have provided a, a very nice, you know, perfect bookend with the end of the book of Judges, which we're going to get. a. This is going to be repeated in the very last verse of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It still does provide the bookend. It's just not right at the beginning like you you know, at least yeah. the perfectionist in me would like to see, but, but it's still Same a book here. <laughs> right. And so, and this matter of everyone doing what was right in his own eyes, that's, that's going to come up as well, multiple times. So this, this really is the theme for the epilogue, but I think we can connect it to the first part of the book as well. This idea that there's no King in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And, and a couple of the studies that, that we did previously on sharper iron, in those first sections really put me onto this. One is that in the first part, when you're going through this downward spiral of the judges, you'll get this phrase that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So there you've got that, that similar phrasing. What does it mean to do what is right in your own eyes? Well, it, that's actually evil in the sight of the Lord. And I think that's a helpful reminder to us because we often think, well, as, as long as I can do whatever I want to do, that's the good life. I think the book of Judges gives us a, a different picture. The other connection that, that the guest yesterday really helped, I mean, just it opened my eyes, which is an ironic thing to say, is that what's just happened to Samson in the, in the order that the book of Judges is given to us? Samson has just lost his eyes. He just had his eyes gouged out. And so, I mean, I, I'm trying to put all these things together so that when when we hear that everyone's doing what is right in his own eyes here at the end of the book of Judges, 
well, that's evil in the Lord's sight, and they really can't see what they're doing. And all of that, I think, is connected to the matter of idolatry. Elsewhere in Scripture, you, you hear the Lord will, will criticize idolatry by saying, look, your idols, they can't actually see. And when you worship them, you become like them so that you can't see as well. All, all of this is to say what the people of Israel find themselves doing in these last chapters of the book of Judges is stemming from the fact that they really can't see because of their idolatry. And they end up falling into some of the worst kinds of sins that you can think of, humanly speaking. I mean, what we've read so far is really just strange and blatantly wrong, but it's only going to get worse, which is maybe hard to imagine. But as we keep going in the book of Judges, it's going to get worse. How'd this happen? This verse is the, the reality. They're just doing what they think is right, but they can't really see because they're not actually worshiping the Lord truly. Absolutely. You know, and I think, I think also going back to the point of, um, you know, that they are doing what, what is evil in the Lord's eyes. Ultimately, the Lord lets them have their way and yep. no longer kind of qualifies that with, I think this is evil. You know what I, in a sense, it's, you know what I think. I'm going to let you have your way unless you do it your way. And in your way, it looks good in your eyes. Well, that's because it is the opposite of the way that the Lord looks at these things. We should, and, and uh, you know, the, ch the children of Israel are more interested in what is good in their own eyes than they are in what is good in the eyes of the Lord and how their works and so it's really an interesting juxtaposition how yeah, what is what is good in our eyes is evil in the Lord's eyes. And also going, you know, looking at these days, what is good in um, what is good in the Lord's eyes will be called evil in the eyes of man. Yeah. Man does not have the right vision. Man does not have the right sight. Man's sight is geared towards the things of falsehood, and that is, you know, here it is false Im it's false idols. Uh, it is money and wealth. Ultimately, all of these things wrapped up together into the idol that is, as Luther would say, me, my, the myself idol. And in, in, um, in, in, in seeing myself as God, I am the one who ultimately dictates what is good, but our goodness pales at best in comparison uh, to God's goodness and the way the way God calls us to goodness. And uh, at, at worst, it is downright evil and sinful and in utter destruction of what the Lord has given. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, I appreciate that, that counter picture, too, that, that not only when we do what was is right in our own eyes, we're doing evil in the Lord's sight, but then we end up also saying whatever the Lord has called good, we think that is evil as well. And, and again, it's, it's all because we're blinded. As you said, we don't have the right sight because of our idolatry. And it's only when we see the one true God and worship him in his son, Jesus Christ, that our eyes are actually opened to know and to do what is good and right. And, and, and that's what's missing here for the people of Israel. So let's, let's see how this text continues. Uh, we're picking up now in verse 7 of Judges 17. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? 
And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in. And the Levite was content to dwell with a man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as priest. That's where this part of the epilogue ends. Again, just very strange. So, Pastor Weedfeld, I mean, in this section of the text... As, as you start reading it, you, you hear about you're going to meet someone new. He's not named again, but his description is, is interesting. He's a young man of Bethlehem. He's in Judah. He's a Levite. Now, I mean, when you've got the whole narrative of Scripture in mind, those three things, someone from Bethlehem, the tribe of Judah, and a Levite, those are all scriptural terms, places, people that have pretty positive connotations. Bethlehem is where the Savior That's is born. Judah is the tribe through which the Savior comes. Levites, those are the ones who stood up to idolatry at the at the foot of Mount Sinai with a golden calf. So, I mean, here now the author is introducing into this situation someone, again, he's not named, but by his description, like, okay, here's somebody that might know what's going on and, and have the yeah. right thing to say, but even he falls into the same sort of idolatry and is, is no better than this named Micah. I mean, again, just the picture here is, is just ugly of what's going on in Israel. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those, uh, I think, instances in Scripture where we see absolute power corrupts absolutely. Hmm. Um, we, Micah is, is a man of power. And what is the power that he has? Well, at least in his own mind, uh, the powers that he he has the ability. Well, he does have the he does have some financial means. He's able to take care of this guy uh, to make him to give him a comfortable life. Yes, and in and in Micah's uh, uh, mind and in the mind of this uh, this Levite, uh, he has the power to ordain. Um, I think I think you said it very well. Um, this 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 young Levite comes with a pedigree that shows that he should have known better. Uh, he should. I mean, his his pedigree is par excellence. The only person that could have had a better pedigree, maybe uh, Paul the Apostle, <laughs> but uh, uh, but in, uh, he should have known. He should have known better. And so, yeah, he's. He, it seems as if he's almost desperate, as it kind of like it just the the, the sojourning on top of sojourning. Um, sojourning is mentioned twice here. Once when, especially in the Old Testament, when things are hit upon multiple times it's to show an emphasis uh so is, is this is this young levite desperate and so he comes into this really good situation and so micah takes advantage of the situation and i believe he takes advantage of the young man as well he get, he he gives him flowery language um he uh, he says to him stay with me uh, and remember this is a young man stay with me and be to me as a father uh, so one who, who is, um, you know, not necessarily older, but one who is going to uh, assist me, one who's going to look out for me, one that's going to care for and mentor me. Um, uh, and, and so be a father and a priest. Uh, it appears that this young Levite uh, is just a Levite in name right now. He is not a priest of, Le uh, of the house of Levi um, yet. Um, so he, he's got... 
He's got all of this going for him. Um, and then yeah, I will give you 10 pieces of silver and uh, a, a suit of clothing uh, and, and, and your living. Uh, so he, he's going to take care of him. And um, I, I started off by saying absolute power corrupts absolutely. This young Levite is being given immense power to influence uh, this household now in, in the mind of the young Levite. I think Micah's in, in a sense trying to collect tokens. He knows, and I think previously, that it's, it's always good, uh, you know, the wealthy people have, uh, you know, a house priest or whatever, uh, at least in the, in the religion, uh, that it, in the religion of the false gods. Uh, rich people have house, um, have house priests. And so now he or first ordains his own son to be his house priest and secondarily brings in this Levite who has really a great pedigree uh, and it actually is able in many ways to be more uh, what's the right word beneficial for him more affluent maybe or even have a closer place to God in the mind of Micah because he is he is of the priestly tribe so he's collecting these tokens and uh, he's, he's collecting the token of, 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 of now an actual person that could feasibly be a priest because he comes from uh, from the tribe of Levi. And uh, what does he do? He finishes out. Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a I have a Levite as a priest. <laughs> and so he, he just he doesn't get it. It's all just kind of in many ways a magical spirituality that if I do this thing, say this incantation. Um, and, 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 you know, and wave my hand the right way, then good things will happen. But that's not the way that the faith works. It's not the faith of the Old Testament. It's not the faith of the New Testament. The faith of the Old Testament was built on the sacrificial system, uh, but done, done out of love and devotion to God. Uh, the New Testament, uh, New Testament faith is built off of the one true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who is the sacrifice of sacrifices and who gives to us now freedom through his blood, atones for all of our sins. Neither of those deal with the person of the Levite, of the priest. They both deal with um, the fact that God demands satisfaction. And in being and in demanding satisfaction, first in the Old Testament, it is through the blood of bulls and rams and goats and sheep. And in the New Testament, it's through the blood of his only begotten son. Those have nothing to do with the priests or even your pastors today. Uh, they have nothing to do with us. We are simply conduits to administer the gifts, to take care of the things that the Lord has given us to take care of for his people, but it's God who is working things out for our good. Your use of the, the term tokens that it seems Mike is collecting, I think is spot on, as, as is the idea that this is some sort of magical incantation that I think that's what Micah's going, got going on in his mind. And I think that's what the Levite yeah. starts falling into, at least as well. And I would, I would connect both of those to a misuse, again, of the second commandment, attempting to Absolutely. use the Lord's name in some sort of magical way. And I really think, you know, I mean, to, to just show how serious this is, think of the explanation that Luther gives us in the catechism where he talks about using satanic arts lying and deceiving by the Lord's name. That's what's going on here. And and whether or not they're 
you know, invoking the name of a demon. I don't think that's going on, but we do know that idolatry does and behind idolatry does lie the work of Satan, as you were saying earlier, Pastor Wheatfelt. And so this just terrible misuse of the Lord's name that's going on here that they think simply because they're going through the outward motions that the Lord is going to bless them. And and that's not at all true. And we'll see in tomorrow or Monday's text just how how far not only Micah and this Levite fall, but really a whole tribe is going to follow into that sort of idolatry and that sort of thinking as well. Pastor Weevil, we got about two minutes here on the morning. Help us to summarize and, and in this text, help us to go forward, point us toward Christ. I think the crux of the text really is, uh, we, we did a good job of hammering this out, but I think the crux of the text is, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, and in many ways, it's, uh, it, it, the text is a chiasm focusing on that that you see all of this craziness coming down um so a chiasm is a uh, simply in one second <laughs> uh, is, is is if you if you make an x over the middle of the text um that uh, it the text really brings things to a, a center point and then uh, from that center point brings things back out in a sense to make an x or a chi in the greek alphabet the middle of that um, X is right over the verse six, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, it summarizes the whole of the whole of this this text very, very, very well, and the, where the heart of the people were as well. That they were doing what was right in their own eyes, and how did how are they doing it through the cursing and the stealing and the the ordaining, and then how to how else through the ordaining and the cursing or the stealing and the cursing working its way back out. So it's very, it's very interesting to kind of look at that text. It was something that, you know, I, late last night, I finally was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's actually what the text is talking about. That's the, that's the, the, the crux of what the text actually means. So how do we move forward with this as people of God um, do what is right in his eyes, not our eyes. The world will call what his works are evil, but we know that they're good and uh, remain in that word and remain in the promise that he gives uh, to forgive, to give life and salvation. Pastor Matt Wheatfelt is the director of admissions and the director of the Christ Academy program at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us this morning with Judges chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Pastor Wheatfelt, thanks for being our guest this morning. Thank you, Pastor Oppel. Always a joy to be with you. To do what is right in our own eyes, that only leads toward idolatry. Rather, the Lord has shown us what is right, and he's given us what is good and right in his son, Jesus Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.